Well, good morning. We are in our third uh, segment of our study on the book of Daniel. We mentioned a few weeks back that Daniel is one of those books, I don't know when the last time is you've read the entire thing. Typically, people like to read the first six chapters, not so much the second six chapters. We'll get into that later. But it's one of those books that you would think is made, they're made for Hollywood type books. Lots of intrigue and wild things going on in those first six chapters. Uh, paranormal stuff going on and special dreams and the handwriting on the wall and nobody knows and animals eating people and Spielberg would love Daniel 1 through 6. Also our Sunday school, you know our Sunday school students right now, elementary, is going through the book of Daniel. It is probably one of the most beloved books for elementary Sunday school kids that's ever been. The book of Daniel is kind of an ironic deal but this is what we want to know. Uh, even though Spielberg and Hollywood might love it, does it have more than entertainment value? Was it just kind of thrown in there to spruce up the Old Testament? I mean, why is it there? Does it teach us more than just moralisms, different things we should be and do? Would the Bible be any worse off if we, if we took one of those, if we took that out and there's only 65 books in the Bible? What is its message? If we can land on that, because Daniel was written to a very specific group of people who are going through a very specific uh, situation in life, I would say the book of Daniel is one of the most, probably the most Americanized books in the Old Testament. It was really written for us. And if we can grasp what it's really saying and apply that, I think it would be a radical difference in our lives. If you can turn with me in your Bible, Daniel chapter 3. And as we do that, let me, I'm going to do a, a poll. Uh, let me ask you, and this doesn't have to do with Daniel 3, it does inadvertently. Um, we're going to do a test, okay? I'm going to make sure everyone is awake this morning. Um, and so I'm going to ask you some questions and you're going to vote, okay? And this is where you vote. If it's positive, it's encouraging, it's thumbs up, right? You know, yippee! Okay, that, that's kind of those thumbs up people, yippee, the Tigger people. Um, if I ask you the question and you're not sure, you're going to uh, you know, I took three years of French, remember virtually none of it except for the, the, the phrase, come see, come saw, which means, eh. so, so, so if the answer to the question, you're not sure, uh, you can do that. You got to do the noise. Uh, okay, that's part of it. If, if you're having a not so terrific time, right? If I ask you the question and it's just not positive answer, then you do this. You probably don't want to say anything because what you might say might not be allowed in church. And so we just don't want you to go say anything with that one, all right? All right, some questions. First question. Are you awake this morning? Oh, yeah, good, good, all right. That's, that's encouraging. Hopefully I won't put you to sleep. Um, when you look at your past week, was it a good week or not... How was it? How was last week? <laughs> Got a lot of that. Ah, okay, okay, and a lot of Okay, all right. Spiritually, when you look at your life, the season you're in right now, how's it going? We've got at least one Daniel here among us. That's wonderful. The rest of us decided we're going to take the fifth on that one. We're not going down that road. Um, the uh, management team here at church, we're reading a book, Mark, Mark Buchanan, The Rest of God. It's, it's a good book. Uh, and he's, he talks about if you're going to, through a season of life, something that's just not so good, it's, it's a type of thing, how do you deal with that? And Mark Buchanan says there's a couple of ways you can deal with it. One is you can follow the counsel of the cartoon character Dilbert, 
who says this. This is his counsel. He says, eat one live toad the first thing in the morning, and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. That's one way of dealing with it, right? Okay, get the worst thing out. Okay, then it's, it's just uphill from there. Uh, or how about this one? He says, and he's quoting here, he says, when you have had one of those take this job and shove it type days, try this. On your way home, stop at your pharmacy and go to the section where they have thermometers. You'll need to purchase a rectal thermometer made by the Q-tip company. Be sure you get this brand. When you get home, lock your doors, draw the drapes, and disconnect the phone so that you will not be disturbed during your therapy. Change into something comfortable, such as a sweatsuit, and lie down on your bed. Open the package containing the thermometer, remove it, and carefully place it on the bedside table so that it will not become chipped or broken. Take the written material that accompanies the thermometer. As you read, notice in small print this statement, quote, every rectal thermometer made by Q-tip is personally tested, end quote. Close your eyes and say out loud five times, thank you, oh thank you, that I do not work in quality control at the Q-tip company. It's one way to deal with it, I guess. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were having one of those type of seasons. Probably where the Q-tip company would look like a step up. You know, let's, let's go try that. Um, let me give you a little background for, to Daniel chapter 3. Um, 606 B.C., uh, these guys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, are at home in Jerusalem, just down the road from the temple. Now, the, the spiritual climate in Jerusalem is kind of like... Uh, but there are some folk in there who are doing well. You know, yippee, they're doing okay. Um, God had told Israel over and over and over again, listen, listen, please, would you, would you put away your idols? Would you put away your immorality? Would you put away your idolatry and worship me? But they didn't listen. And so finally what happens is Nebuchadnezzar, God sends him, though he doesn't know this, at least on this, at this point, Nebuchadnezzar comes from Babylon, he's just hanging out, he's making a tour, stops off in Jerusalem, and he besieges the city. And uh, King Jehoiakim is going, oh, what do we do? And Nebuchadnezzar knocks on the front door, don't make me come in there. And Jehoiakim knows, if I'm going to make Nebuchadnezzar come in here, it's not going to be good. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's reputation is very bad for conquered peoples. So he swings open the doors, and Neb says, I want all your money, empty the banks. And so they take all the temporal treasury, and they, take, and they give it to him. And he says, oh, no, no, we're not done. I want the royal family, and I want all your artisans, and I want all the educated people. And I want your movers and shakers, and I want all your leaders here now. And so Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, part of that group, and so they go 900 miles away to Babylon. Now just a few years later, Neb would return, and he would raise Jerusalem, he would destroy the walls, he would take through all the special landmarks, they would be burned and destroyed. The temple of God would be burned to the ground, nothing left. So Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are hanging out in, in uh, Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar does something that's very significant. He's, he's, he's cruel, he's mean, he's arrogant, but he's wise. And so he knows if he can take these, the leaders, these key people, these, and he can turn them into Babylonians, assimilate them into the Babylonian culture, he's going to be, be okay. That, that in a generation or so, there's going to be no resistance. And so these guys, they're named, actually their names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And Hananiah means uh, God is gracious, 
Mishael means who is like God, and Azariah means God is my help. But, but they're in Babylon. The guy who's looking out for him says, oh, no, 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 guys, guys, your God didn't help you, did he? And he's gone. We killed his temple. He can't come down anymore. He's finished. It's a bygone era. You've got new gods now. And so Hananiah, your new name is Shadrach, which means, which means um, under the command of a coup, which is one of the Babylonian gods. And Mishael, your name is now Meshach, which means who is like a coup. And, and uh, your name, Azariah, is now Abednego, which means under the command of Nebo, or servant of Nebo, which is one of the Babylonian gods. And not only that, they take these guys and they, they probably make them eunuchs. They give them a three-year discipleship class, which is really brain brainwashing. It is really uh, indoctrination, where they go through day after day for three years, learning not their unlearning their old things that were wrong, but now they're learning how they really came into being and what life is really about and where they're really going and what the real gods are and how to appease them. And they learn the new new language. They're not learning Hebrew anymore. Now they're learning. Aramaic. In 70 years, some of the exiles were going to go back and they brought back the Aramaic language. This is fascinating stuff, but this is a sidebar. They hadn't learned Hebrew in 70 years. When they go back, nobody knows Hebrew. And so this is the language Jesus speaks, the language of the exiles, because they picked it up in, in Babylon. So these guys are dressing like Babylonians now. They are talking like Babylonians. They got Babylonian, hopefully, worldview. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's desire is. They're, 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 they're thinking. They got the values, the, the purpose, everything else. But they need to make sure that they worship like Babylonians as well. And so, chapter three says, "Then King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold ninety feet high and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon." You know, we really don't know because they don't tell us what this is an image of. Is this one of his gods? Is this of himself? We're not sure. He was the head of gold in the chapter before, so maybe. But typically, the Babylonians didn't deitize their their emperors, and so. But either way, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Because it's probably not Jehovah. That would have been a violation of the second command, right? They then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers or officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. The issue is worship. You ever ask yourself, what is exactly worship? Worship is a heart stance, often that's manifested through words and actions and attitudes. It's, it's saying, um, you, whatever the object of worship is, person, thing, God, uh, you are the supreme. You are the ruler of my life. Uh, my life is lived for your benefit. Everything I do is comes through a filter of what's best for you and what you desire and what you want. You are the master. I am the slave. That's what it means to worship. So I, if that's the definition, stop, stop for me. 
if that's the definition, pure worship is probably not most easily seen on Sunday morning. It's probably most easily seen on Monday morning, right? When we get back into the office or into school. or It's probably seen best Tuesday night when we're watching television or Wednesday night when we go to the club and the, the gym. Or it's probably seen best when we're Thursday night working on our books, our finances, or Friday night when we're out with our friends. Or they say, if you really want to know what you truly worship... You just do evaluation of where does your mind go when nobody else is around. When you're laying in your bed at night and the door is closed and no one's around, what are you thinking? What comes into your mind? That is what you worship. And and Nebuchadnezzar is saying, listen, y'all, I just need to know that I have no rivals for your allegiance. I'm like, no, we're we're a melting pot here. But I need to know that number one in your life is me, is Babylon, is our gods. I need to know whose betterment you're living for, whose, whose welfare you're living for, whose glory you're living for. And this is so important to me that if it's not the right answer here, if it's not Babylon, you need to know you're off the team. You know, you're in the fiery furnace. That's where you go. And so, you, this, is, this is interesting. If you look in this text... There are two lists, right? This was easy to see with lots of words that we're not exactly sure what they are. They were the, the, the uh, officials, they were the people. It talks about the uh, satraps and prefects and governors and advisors and treasurers and judges and magistrates and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image. These, these, these are like the higher, rung of, uh, higher rungs of the uh, org chart. These folk are, are not your... your typical Babylonian person. These, these are the movers and shakers. These are the power brokers. These are the very significant. These are the people that are, are, are walking down the red carpet at your Emmys type thing. These are the key people. And, and verse 7 lets us know some other things about these people. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, yada, yada, um, says all the peoples... Nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped. These would have been not just exiled people. These would not just been his, his hierarchy. But these would have been the kings and queens of the areas around Babylon. They haven't been conquered by Babylon, but they saw the handwriting on the wall, as it were. And they had made peace with Babylon became their vassals, basically. They, they formed a, a border, a cushion between Babylon and its hostile nations. They had to give the king taxes, but they were basically autonomous people. So if you were there, you'd be standing there, and all of a sudden you'd see, that's King So-and-so over there. King So-and-so is in charge of all those people in the east. He's a pretty big guy. And there's, there's Queen Whatchamacallit. Oh, man, she's, she's got that empire from the north, and wow, she's here. And, and also, you've got, you've got Governor, you know, what's his face? Uh, this is the guy, he's actually the general over all of, of the, the war machine of Babylon. Wow. I can't get, never been this close before to him. Or, or this guy, Mr. Whatever. He, he is the, the treasurer. He's in charge of all the money in Babylon. Talk about power. And these people were, people here were, were there to impress, and they were dressed to impress. I mean, these were like the... I don't know how you ever feel when you're around your boss's boss's boss at work, 
Or at school, you, you all of a sudden, if you're not part of this group, you, you get around the, the cool kids or the special people, and you just kind of... You walk in and sometimes you, you, you come across a key celebrity or a key athlete. We kind of stand back and go, oh, that's, that's who was here. And also you find the lists of the instruments. And I, I, I think that why they're there is it just lets us know that there was a lot of pomp here. This was the red carpet, black bow tie. This was a huge ceremony thing. This was big. This was really big. Lots of peer. I can't imagine the peer pressure to bow. It would have been intense. And, you know, music, too, can be emotional. And, and so that, that's going on. And you've got everybody around you, and they're all, all falling down. I mean, this is going to be a, an intense thing. Plus, there's a negative consequence if you don't adhere, right? Into the furnace. So let's just say you are Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and you're just hanging out there. And you're going, boy, I don't know what I'm going to do. Come on, I'm waiting for the rapture. I don't even know about a rapture yet. But God, you've got to do something here. Whoa, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm waiting for him to come through, and he's going to come through, I'm sure. because. And all of a sudden, you hear a you hear a... And the conductor raises his hands. And then as he comes down and the, the band strikes up and the orchestra kicks in, text says that all the people are actually falling over each other trying to get down. And you, you want to fly under the radar because you don't want to be on Nebuchadnezzar's bad side because he doesn't like a person, just wipes out the whole, whole town, village. And so you don't want to be upset. And so everyone else is starting to go down and you're standing there going, um, what are you doing? What are you thinking? You need to know a couple things. First of all, what Nebuchadnezzar is not asking them to do here is he is not saying, worship my God instead of yours. He's not saying that. He's saying, worship my God in addition to yours. Have your gods. Have them. But just make sure that mine's just a little bit above yours. Uh, This is what Babylon does, right? Babylon says, believe what you want to believe. That's cool, freedom, land of the free. Believe what you want to believe. But privatized. When you're out in public, see, you've got to believe what's best for Babylon. If your, your private religious beliefs aren't what's best for Babylon, it's time to change. It's time to make some adjustments. It's time to move. Believe whatever you want to believe. But when you're public, you see, it's, it's Babylon. It's, it's, it's got to be top of the heap. The best for Babylon, or we got we got to deal with you, just just the way it is. And so maybe you're thinking, well, they're not really asking me to to ditch my God; they're just asking me to worship that one as well. I can't really do that. And uh, so, so, what's going through your mind? You need to know too. For all the other people, this was not a big issue. To our knowledge, archaeologically, everybody was a polytheist. I mean, everybody believed in there weren't. <laughs> To our knowledge, there were no atheists. I'm sure there's probably one out there somewhere, but we have no record of that. Um, everybody believed in multiple gods. Lots of gods. I hear the God there, a God everywhere, a God. That's okay. Just add another one to the list. Not a big deal. You want me to worship the God of the Babylonians? Well, he's probably worthy. Look at Babylon. Okay. So everybody else would not have had an issue. But to our knowledge, archaeologically, there was one group that believed in only one God. Just one. And he was God over the whole world, not just over a certain piece of real estate. That were the Jews. And they knew there's only one God. And he's, he's, he's over Israel. He's over Babylon. He's over the whole world. And they had the commandments. They, they knew, have no other gods before me, which is what Neb was asking. And have no graven images. And this was in violation all over the place. But maybe they're thinking when the band strikes up, I mean, what, would you, what would you do? Maybe um, I'm going to go on my knees right now and pray to ask God what I should do. 
this is a good time for me to worship my God. I know they're going to think I'm worshiping their God, but I'm going to, maybe that, or uh, I'm going to excuse myself and go to the bathroom. Because, you know, I'll come back when the band is done. You know, I mean, nature calls, right? They can't fault me for that one. Or maybe, you know, I drop my car keys and I've got to, chariot keys, and I've got to go pick them up. And so I'm going to go down, and I think they're over here. No, no, they're over here, and they're over here. I think they're, oh, yeah, look, the song's done. I got them. We're all finished. We do this, don't we do this kind of thing? When we know, we're not going to want, in our head, we rationalize. If you're going to rationalize, this is the time. I'm not really, I'm not. No. But as far as those around us, oh, yeah, we're bowing down Babylonians. God says what we're doing. And if you don't, you're, you're in, in trouble. There's, there's no, nothing else for you but the blazing furnace. And verse 8 says, at this time, now we still don't know exactly what they did or what they didn't do. But at this time, some astrologers, your version may say Chaldeans, but the word is astrologer. Um, we're going to see from some of the stuff they say here that who these people probably are is they probably are professional colleagues of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And they're not real happy that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego have been getting the raises and getting the promotions and been getting the corner offices. And likewise, they keep, keep bypassed. And so they've got to take out the competition. And so at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. This is probably the first, in Scripture, this is the first uh, incident of, of anti-Semitism. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the horn or sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and pipes and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews among you who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Some of the guys that aren't loyal to you who probably should be pretty loyal to you, king. Just We're just saying, you should know this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's not too used to people not paying attention to him. I mean, there's, been no, there's nobody around, no one alive to talk about how they've done that. It's just, it's just not, not so. And so, as you can imagine, verse 13, furious with rage. Now, he's not just furious. and He's not just raging. He's furious with rage. This just doesn't happen often. You're going to defy? You're going to defy Nebuchadnezzar? Are you serious? So, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know if you've ever been called into the boss's office when you know it's not a good thing. This is where these guys are um, hoping that, you know, Q-tip's got some openings going on. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music... If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. I'll give you a second chance. Maybe you just didn't hear it, right? I'm sure you just didn't hear it. I'm sure you just weren't sure exactly what you're to do. But I want to give you another chance here. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? That last question. It's a rhetorical question. He didn't expect an answer. The assumed answer was there are none. 
There is no God that can deliver uh, us from your hand. I mean, God's, that's not a possibility. You are the, the head of gold. We got that down. But he did ask a question. And so Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, for all their wisdom, answered him. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. First, look at that, and you go, wow, there's some boldness there. I guess that's the... That's the lesson, the whole passage. We should be bold. That's not the lesson of the passage. Why were they bold? I mean, they were respectful, honored the king. They weren't cocky. They weren't uh, uh, sarcastic to the king. Why? Why were they bold? Because they knew their God. They said, king, since you asked a question, who? I know who. The God who single-handedly wiped out all of the gods of Egypt. That's who. And the God who, who drowned the entire Egyptian war machine in the Red Sea. That's who. And the God who was so committed to his people that while they were in the desert, he gave them food. They were sustained regular basis in the desert. And that same God gave them water from rocks. And that was the God who, who cared for his people, so he led them by a, a pillar of fire at night or a cloud by day. This was the God who created the whole world with one word, and he created you in your mom's womb, Nebuchadnezzar, and he rules Babylon just, just, just because you asked. I, I know the God. Yes, I know someone who can do that. My God can. He can. It's right. Well, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't real pleased with this, of course. This is a Nebuchadnezzar. I love this. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. Now, he was already furious with rage, so he's furious with rage, add more furiousness on it, and before you thought he was Mr. Nice Guy. Oh, man. If Mr. Nice Guy is do what I say or you're in the furnace, we've got all kinds of problems going on here. I mean, he's hopping. He's got veins popping up. And no one has said this. He's spitting it. And finally, he gets the words out, and he says... Orders the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. That's to its max. Turn it up as high as it can go. Throw the old coal and wood and whatever we got in there. Let's make this thing as hot as possible. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie him up. I think weak soldiers probably could have done a good job, but it's irrelevant. Because he wants the strongest ones to do it. And throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes and trousers, turbans, and other cloths were bound thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, let me go back because we missed a verse. It's kind of a key verse. Verse 18. Did you see that? Did you notice that? He says, If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Look at 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, they will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up, even if he does not. When you think about these guys, know this. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are not talking out of a cushy life. Okay? They're not the have have always had everything go well for them. They Keep in mind, when, when they were back home in Jerusalem and they heard reports that Nebuchadnezzar was coming with his army, don't you think they probably prayed, oh, please, God, don't let Nebuchadnezzar come here. But he came. 
And then, then when he besieged the city, they, they had to be praying, oh, please, God, don't let Nebuchadnezzar get in here. But he got in. And then when they were picking people to go to Babylon, you know, he had to be praying, oh, please, God, don't let them pick me. But they picked them. And then when they're there, and everything is this going on, please, God, get us out of this. Just have something happen, rapture, whatever. Have something happen to deliver us. But that didn't happen either. They were very familiar. We just got to, no, they were very familiar with God not showing up. With, with God not answering the way they wanted it to be answered. With, with, they, they were very familiar with things not working out the way they wanted it to work out. Now, you say, well, then, how did they get that kind of boldness? I don't have it on the screen. We'll get to it in a few weeks. But Daniel chapter 9. Just, just hear this for a second. And uh, just listen. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. So this is like 50 years later. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, giving to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now, we'll talk more about that later. But you need to know this. Daniel, 50 years later, been in Babylon 50 years, he is having quiet time. He's meditating on the word of God. He's, he's reading Jeremiah, who's kind of like a contemporary of his, but he recognizes that Jeremiah's words are scripture, and he's meditating on scripture. You know how you get the boldness that you need? You get that kind of boldness through, through God's word, through looking at God's word, through spending time in God's word. That's how we get to know who our God is. If you don't, you, you might be able to work up some boldness once in a while, but it's not going to last, and it won't come with the peace that these guys had. It just won't. But if you know your God... As he's revealed himself. And when those times come in Babylon, you'll be, able to, you'll be able to make it. You'll be able to respond accordingly. So Nebuchadnezzar's not happy. He tosses them in the, the furnace. You know, it's interesting. Because we've got people who have, ask yourself, Christians who have... Verse 16 and 17 theology. My God can and my God will. But they don't have 18 theology. Verse 18. But even if he doesn't, we don't like that part. We don't like that verse. My God can and my God will. You might say, well, isn't that faith? Isn't that what we're supposed to have? We're supposed to have faith. Let me, this, there's a lot of confusion on this today. We're supposed to have faith in the things God says in his word. We're not supposed to put words in God's mouth. And say, well, I have faith that he's going to do this just because I have a sense or I have a feeling of some sort. And he, this is the way he's going to. So I know he's going to do this. It's like Tinkerbell, you know. If I just believe hard enough, then it's going to happen. That's not the way faith works. We believe what he's promised in his, in his word. Everything else, maybe, maybe not. And that's what they're saying. God can. He's got the power. Yes, yes, he's got the power. But even... If he doesn't, often when we pray, how do we pray? We pray, you've done this, I know I've done this. God, get me out of this jam and I'll, and I'll, 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 I'll be good. God, if you just help me to not be pregnant this time, then, then I promise I'll, I'll be wonderful from this point. I'll be a nun, I'm going to be all right. God, if you can get me out of jail or you can help me not get caught, please help me to just not get caught. And you know what? I'll, li- I'll, I'll live right. If you just give me a, a, a godly spouse, I'll never ask anything from you again. We've got this, this deal-making thing. We don't know 18. 
We know God can. Yes, he can. He can. He can. And if he does, then we're going to pledge our allegiance. But you need to know, theology is good theology, knowing his power. But if you have 16 and 17 verses, verses 16 and 17, that theology down, you know God's power, but you don't have verse 18 to couple it, that's heresy. That's heresy. According to God's word, I have faith in what he said. But even if he does not, God, I'm praying. I'm praying that you will give me a, a, a boyfriend or girlfriend. And, and God, you're so much God, you can give me a hunk. Or you can give me a hot babe. That's what you can do. And so I'm, I'm, I'm praying that you'll do that for me. But even if you don't, God, please know I'm not bowing down to Babylon's God of illicit relationships. I'm just not, I'm not going down that way. I'm going to honor you here. God, you can heal me. No question about it. You can heal me. You can heal me. But I want you to know that even if you don't, that's not going to, that's not going to affect my worship of you one iota. God, you can give me that, that key job, or you can bring that prodigal home, or, or you can uh, work in the, the heart of my spouse to make him or her a godly person, or somebody who cares once in a while, or someone who's nice. But even if you don't, you need to know, I'm going to love that person with everything I have. Do you have verse 18 theology as well? I mean, We all believe God's got power and God can do it. But even if he doesn't, is that going to impact your, your worship of him? So these guys are thrown in the furnace. And that's verse 22. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. I don't know if they, what they were expecting. He's going to deliver me, but... But even if he doesn't, who knows? Maybe they're expecting, who knows what they're expecting. But then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? And they replied, you know, yes, certainly. You know, we're not math majors here, but I can count to three. Certainly. Go, King, just three. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace. I'm sure he didn't get too close, but he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, loyal advisors crowded around them, probably some of the guys that told on them in the first place. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their homes be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can serve. I mean, this is a, I, like, I like him. He's really a, he's not a wishy-washy person, is he? You know? Yeah. All right, uh, bow down, worship my god, or in the furnace you go. No, hang on a minute. Scratch that one, okay? Uh, worship him or we're going to cut you in pieces and tear down your house. <laughs> I love this guy. But his, 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 answer is, his, his, his answer is great. For no other God can save this way. Can you imagine? 
if Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego would have caved right here. The fact that they didn't, down the years down the road, when those three guys got together uh, and they talked, what might they say? When, when these guys were getting ready to die and they looked back over their life, what would they point to to be the coolest part of my life, the primary thing in my life, the defining moment or the greatest experience I've ever had? Don't you think it might be this, the scariest thing? And they would have missed it completely? If they would have caved, I wonder sometimes for you, I wonder for me, am I, am I missing what God has for me? Because I think I know how this is going to work out. And so, and so I, I don't obey. When if you would just say, I'm going to do God, even if I'm going to honor and worship you, we could see him in such a way, know him. What do you think this did to their faith? Oh, man. I'm sure if they weren't unmovable before this, you know they were after this. It, it's incredible. Now, this, this fourth guy in the furnace... I mean, who do you think this is? That's, I've heard it. This is probably Jesus. That's what most folks say. It's what tradition says. The pre-incarnate Christ is in the furnace with these guys to protect them, to uh, keep them from the flames. But let me tangent for just a second. You need to know this. Even if the flames would have taken them home, Jesus still would have been there. He still would have been there. Just as much, not just a little bit, just as much, he would have been there. Jesus is used to the furnace. There was a day when he was going to go back in. In Gethsemane, he could see what that furnace really meant. The pain, the spiritual pain, the heat, the flame. This time they were going to touch. And he wasn't going in with anybody else. And he wasn't going in to save three people. He was going in to save you and me. And he was in Gethsemane thinking through this. He prayed. And this is amazing because he prays, Father, you're, you are, you're God. You can do anything. Come up with a plan B here. How about it? Let's move. And, but, but then he says, doesn't he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, which is basically saying, but even if you don't, you need to know I'm walking in. And if I walk in and, and the furnace is just an avenue to get me to glory, then okay, okay. But if I have to come back out, uh, just so you know, either way, I'm, I'm, I'm going in. Let me ask just a couple of questions. Have you ever come to a point personally where you realize that Jesus did enter into that furnace Golgotha, the cross for you. First Peter 2.24 says that he, his own self, Jesus, bore our sins on the cross, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. You, you don't have to wait to join a church. It's not about that. It's in the privacy of, of your own heart saying, Lord, thank you for taking my place in the furnace for me, dying for me, surrendering your life to him. Let me ask a second group of people. Are you in the furnace this morning? Something. It's just hot. It's not going well. If we would be, I kind of joked about it at the beginning of the service, but reality is it's not a joke. It's just, there's, there's pain. And it's not going well. You need to know that you've got someone in the furnace with you. You know, the text doesn't tell us that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego saw this fourth person. Or even communed with them. Maybe they never saw him. Nebuchadnezzar saw him. Maybe they didn't. You need to know. 
If you're in the furnace, Jesus is right there with you. That's one of those promises when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you that we hold on to by faith. Because here's the deal is we live in Babylon and as Babylon tries to make us privatize our faith, this Babylon almost doesn't care as long as we keep Babylon first as you and I get challenged with this all the time. If we understand, know the power of God, that helps us live by faith and not by fear.